You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm Deborah King, one of the Elder Care Coordinators. We often talk about coordinating patient care on the podcast, but it is important to note that mental care is just as important as physical care. Joining us today is Dr. Teresa Young. Dr. Young is a psychologist who specializes in health psychology with an emphasis on adjustment to aging, chronic illness, acquired disability, and caregiver support. Welcome, Dr. Young. Thank you so much, Deborah. We're Glad interested here. in hearing about your practice. So let's start off about um, t- you telling us who would be a good client for you. Sure, absolutely. Um, I would say anyone of any age, I do see some adolescents, but I, the, the bulk of my practice are older adults or someone who's caring for an older adult. So sometimes I see folks in the in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s who are just caring for a relative. I also see folks who have a chronic illness or a relatively new disability, such as a stroke or an amputation. That's great. We work with a lot of clients who have those criteria. So when a person has a life-changing event, such as a stroke or a life-changing diagnosis, such as Parkinson's, People often think about the physical treatments they need, but rarely the mental treatments that could be beneficial. Can you go over some of the reasons to consider the therapy once this type of event happens? Absolutely. A lot of different disorders actually do have a mental health component to them. So for example, even Parkinson's or someone who's had a stroke will experience depression as a byproduct or um, part of the actual syndrome itself. But I would also say that a lot of major life events trigger losses for people, um, Mm -hmm. even positive life events, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so those folks will often experience, you know, changes in roles that they might not be comfortable with. Um, Maybe they've always been the person who's taking care of everyone else, and now they have to be the patient. Um, Or they might experience some interpersonal or family conflict around the best way to receive care. Um, And they might need a new set of communication skills. And a therapist can help that person identify their feelings, communicate, uh, be able to communicate them in a healthy way, um, give them feedback, and help them feel less lonely. I think that's an element of suffering from any type of chronic illness or aging that people don't really talk about as much as the loneliness component. The loneliness and the losses, I think that characterizes it quite well with just normal aging, as well as when health issues um, become present and cause more problems. So absolutely. Um, Are there any conditions that may not be appropriate for your services? 
Definitely. There are a few um, that might not find my services as beneficial. Um, Folks who are in kind of the later moderate to severe stages of a neurocognitive disorder, also known as dementia, are Uh usually not appropriate um, psychotherapy candidates in my setting. Um, There are some things that can be done with them, but I would rather coach the family on how to do that. Um, and so a lot of times those folks can't necessarily follow the full flow of a traditional psychotherapy conversation. Um, so those folks, mm-hmm. usually I would meet with the family instead. Um, and I would say someone who's actively using or abusing substances, I would rather they kind of address those issues first um, before coming and seeing me. Uh, or I would also see them alongside substance abuse treatment. And then anyone who's kind of in the active throes of psychosis, um, it's pretty difficult to do psychotherapy when someone's kind of responding to voices in their mind or hallucinating, things like that. So I usually like to get those things addressed beforehand. That makes a lot of sense. So back to um, the dementia patient and working with the family and the caregivers, Mm-hmm. We see a lot of those families that deal with um, not only the stress of caregiving, um, which we try to do a lot of education around, but also the loss of their loved one, the anticipatory loss, as well as the um, stress of the denial, the denial of what's coming next. Um Talk about that, if you can, for a few seconds. Sure, absolutely. Um, I think with with some folks who have, you know, more severe cognitive impairment, they might not necessarily have the insight or self-awareness that they aren't able to do what they used to do. And um, that's usually a source of tension with families when somebody mm-hmm. thinks that drive still <laughs> or um, wants to be in charge of all the bills and things like that. Um, So when I'm working with a family, we'll talk a lot about the balance between safety and independence. Um, So we'll try to find ways that we can really support their loved one being independent while also counterbalancing that with doing what's safe. Right. We always say they can choose what color socks they wear, but they can't choose where they go. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's very true. Um, Yeah. And it it can just be difficult, like you said, with the anticipatory loss as well. Um, There's, I think in a lot of the early stages after an initial diagnosis, there's a lot of mourning of the the life that everyone thought was going to unfold. That's Mm -hmm. not going to anymore. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of, you know, and now what do I do? Uh, do you, yeah. I'm just curious myself, so you would work with someone with a, a new or an earlier diagnosis um, to help prepare them or help them with those decisions? Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. So a lot of folks who might have, uh, we call it mild cognitive impairment, Um, So, or are kind of in that early stage of a neurocognitive disorder, um, they still have some level of insight and awareness into their deficits and the fact that they might be declining in the coming years. 
Um, and that makes them actually more susceptible to depression and anxiety. And that's a, a great place for them to come see a psychologist or a mental health professional to help work through some of those feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, we see people along that whole continuum. So it, it is interesting when the early diagnosis or early in the process, um, some people accept it. I've had a couple of clients that say, I have dementia and, mm-hmm. and go on from there. And then there's others who will cover it up from their families or who just flat out deny it. And as families try to intervene because they see things happening, um, they see meals not being eaten, meds not being taken, bills not being paid, a lot of those things that um, they have a difficult time dealing with the person, whether it's mom or dad or a spouse, because they have no, they don't agree that there's anything wrong. Yeah, that that element of denial can be a just create so much family mm-hmm. conflict for sure. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of our work can be around coming to a place of acceptance about it and beginning to see some of the benefits of that, um, some of the benefits of open communication about what you can and can't do actually in the long run preserves someone's independence because they can start doing more adaptive things on the front end. Um, so maybe they install grab bars or in their house, or, um, maybe they start to you learn to use public transportation or ride sharing, and mm-hmm. that allows them to stay in, engaged in the community for much longer than if someone is in denial and then has experiences some type of catastrophic accident and then their ap- independence is really removed. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you ever meet, um, in a family session, like with the caregiver and the, or maybe the parents, one of whom is sick and the children who are trying to figure out what to do? I do. And in fact, you know, more often than not, that's one of my favorite ways to uh, initially start working with a family. Um, over time, it might become apparent that um, maybe the care recipient isn't really benefiting, but the rest of the family is. So I might ask them if they could find someone to sit with their care recipient while the rest of them come in and talk with me. Um, but I, I really enjoy meeting with an entire families or sibling dyads or triads even, um, and just kind of helping them figure out what roles they, they are willing to fulfill and that they can fulfill um, to come together as a family. Mm-hmm. Because everyone has a role in that family. And, and what I see so often is we just get such a small slice of what that family dynamic is um, that it, it takes more time to figure out all the relationships and who's in what role. Yeah. And nowadays, I think with, with more and more video conferencing, uh, family members who don't necessarily live in the same town can, can still participate in it to some degree. You know, they might be able to manage finances or maybe they can be the one who goes through and reads reviews of assisted living facilities or something like that. That was my next question as far as, as where do you practice? Do you go to the homes? Do they come to you? Do you do videos? Do you do kind of a combination? Yeah. So, um, I, right now I'm 
working primarily through telehealth. So um, I will send out a link to family members and meet with them online. It's great for when folks are out of state. Um, Mm -hmm. I will be opening a physical office in Mount Juliet, Tennessee in late February. So I'm really excited. I know. I'm really excited to be able to see folks in person. I know there are a lot of people out there um, who enjoy that. And I myself as a therapist do as well. I'm grateful for telehealth, but it's nice to have options. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I will also from time to time contract with different facilities. Um, I'm that's still an option that I'm exploring, but for now, mostly telehealth and in person at my office. Okay. Okay. So how, who pays for your services? Do you accept insurances? Does Medicare pay for counseling? Um, or is it all private pay? Yeah. So right now I'm operating on, on a private pay uh, circumstances, but I do have select openings for a sliding fee scale. So I know there are some folks who might not be able to afford the full fee. And so I uh-huh. keep a few slots available for them. Um, in the meantime, probably a, maybe around the summer, I'll be able to accept different insurance companies. I'm in the process of contracting with them right now. And mm-hmm. Medicare is one of those payer sources. So Medicare is. Yeah, that's a oh, big cool. one for me. So I'm really excited to be able to um, to work with Medicare and see patients through them. Yes, as Dana said, that's a good resource for us to have because I think a lot of families that we work with and um, families that may be listening to this are on a Medicare or a Medicare plan and to check with your insurance to see if it will cover your services um, can be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I do um, provide a super bill to people so that's sort of like an itemized receipt. So if mm-hmm. they if they have out-of-network benefits with their insurance company, they might be able to get reimbursed for at least a portion of my services. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I understand you went to school right here in Nashville. You got I did one yeah. of your degrees. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, was it your doctorate or one of the other it ones? It was. It was. Okay. Yeah. Um, I got my doctoral degree at Tennessee State University. Um, they their doctoral program in counseling psychology has a really strong emphasis on multiculturalism, and that was something uh-huh. that it was really um, at the at that time, and I continue to feel really passionate about. Um, so, I'm I'm happy to say that I matched for internship here in Nashville as well, and there was a consortium between Vanderbilt and the VA, and so oh, yes. I. Internship yes. and postdoc with them. Okay, great, great. So, yeah. seeing seeing veterans and their situations would not be uncommon for you. Yes, yes. Okay, um, and I'm thinking of some of the um, not related to aging, but the the disabling conditions. So, um, people who have like a, a multiple sclerosis or a muscular dystrophy yeah. or an ALS, those are up your alley as well as far as because those have a strong physical component that affects the mental health and vice versa, correct? 
That is correct. So I will. I, I have a few folks right now that I'm seeing who have multiple sclerosis. Um, I'll also see folks who have digestive disorders like Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. Um, I've worked with a few folks who uh, were waiting for an organ transplant, but Ooh. maybe had more psychosocial factors that needed to be addressed before they could get on the list. Uh-huh. So those are some folks that um, have come through my door. Great, great. Well, I think you're going to be a wonderful resource, um, not only to us, but to the community um, here in Middle Tennessee, especially with being able to do telehealth, because if you're in Hendersonville and can't leave your house because you're taking care of someone, then you can still get the services and the support. That's exactly right. That's one of my favorite elements of doing telehealth is that it, it cuts out commuting time and having to find someone to, to watch your loved one while you get that support. Mm-hmm. And although we're in Middle Tennessee and recognize that um, you're licensed in Tennessee, I believe I saw mm-hmm. on your website, there are other states that you can help people in that you're licensed in other states as well? Yeah, that's correct. So I'm licensed in, right now I'm licensed in Iowa, Ohio, and Florida for telehealth. Um, there's also a piece of legislation that Tennessee passed, um, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, called SIPACT. Mm-hmm. And um, once that's up and running, there'll be many more states that I'll be able to see folks in through telehealth. Great. Great. Um, before we sign off, how do people contact you? Yep. So they can go to my website, generationspsych.com. They can also send me an email at Teresa Young, PhD. That's T-E-R-E-S-A-Y-O-U-N-G, PhD at gmail.com. Um, I also have a phone number. It is 614-328-9528. You'll notice that that area code is actually from Columbus, Ohio. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I want to warn folks that I will be changing that number um, probably sometime in the next month or so. And that will be on the website. So that's why I want to direct folks to the website, because once that number changes, that's where they can find the new way. Yeah, that 614 is too close to 615. It will I know. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> is getting calls for you. Yeah. <laughs> I figured I might as well really change uh-huh. that too. <laughs> Well, we appreciate your talking with us. And I know I, for one, learned a lot about services that are available for families and we'll hope to be in contact with you in the future. For those of you that are listening, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Take Us McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com document downloads, the Take Us McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there. 
free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.